the ability to sustain effort is something I really learned. And uh, yeah, that being in the chaos and confusion and things flying and maybe, yeah, maybe a little violence here and there, I, I didn't mind it. I liked it a lot. Welcome to the Winners Find Away Show. I'm your host, Trent Clark, and this is episode 15 with David Gregory. Sustainability. David is a lobbyist and a partner in Kelly Cawthorn, a Midwestern lobbying firm. He shares his athletic experience, his value and beliefs about being a lobbyist and how you'd like to see the view of lobbyists change. You will not want to miss his talk on how his business survived during the pandemic, what he's learned from his athletic experience, the most challenging things of being a lobbyist, and what are the fundamental building blocks of day-to-day life that will lead up to that higher standard. David is a sharp leader, and I love his quote, take the game one play at a time. Join us for a fabulous show in this two-part series. Hi, this is Trent Clark, CEO of Leadershipity, and welcome back to Winners Find a Way show. Super excited about my guest today, David Gregory. And David, say hello. Hey, Trent. How you doing? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you on. Like, it's uh, super fun. You know, in my show here on Winners Find a Way, we talk to a bunch of people. We talk to entrepreneurs, we talk to founders, CEOs, uh, athletes, all sorts of different people. But this is my first venture in having the lobbyist on board. And so I'm super excited because our political climate right now is crazy. So I think it's going to be awesome to to talk some shop. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it and uh, pleased to be your first lobbyist. Hopefully, hopefully there are others, but uh, yeah, but only that they work in my firm or something. I'm not sure. <laughs> right. All right. So yeah, your firm, we're going to talk a little bit about you and your firm here in just a moment. For people just joining in for the show first time, I am your host, Trent Clark, three-time World Series coach, long time in professional baseball, serial entrepreneur, international speaker. And if you're tuning into the show to the winners find a way, we are all talking about it. That time you faced diff adversity, felt like losses are mounting and you need to find a better way. Well, this is the place where we talk about some tough things and whether you're an entrepreneur, an athlete, a business leader, just looking to start your journey today to be elite. I think this is the perfect place for you. We talk a lot of tough stuff. So it's uh, good and not always easy, right, David? And it's, uh, if, if it's easy, it's probably not worth doing. Uh, right? I have to remind myself of that occasionally. Yes. Yeah. Not a terrible reminder sometimes when you're up against it, right? Let's talk a little bit, a few highlights on David Gregory. Winners Find a Way show is brought to you by data-driven operations powered by Journeys. Journeys is a software solution that helps you create a winning formula for your organization. DD Ops powered by Journey helps you act as one, see as one, work as one, play as one, win as one. Are you looking for visibility, coachability, and productivity amongst your team? DD Ops is your software. Click on the link in the show notes to learn more. All right. You're currently one of the key partners of Kelly Cawthorn, a leading Midwestern lobbying firm that you joined the firm in 99. Is that right? That's right. That's when it was uh, formed in 1999. I joined uh, when we opened the doors. Nice. Um, you've served the firm's lead lobbyist for a diverse range of clients. You've got Chrisman, Deloitte, DTE Energy, Greenstone Farm, uh, Greenstone Farm Credit, Wayne State University. Um, helps a client secure over $300 million in state capital outlay funding and tax credits for building projects in just these recent years. Um, and you are an up north guy, right? 
So I love that. I love that because I, I told my fun story Friday today, kind of leading up to you and how we kind of discovered the Traverse City world and the playground of northern Michigan, right? Yeah. And you are one of the most pristine places. Uh, you're a native of the Leelanau Peninsula and the county, yes. right? Yeah, Sutton's Bay. Uh, I grew up in Sutton's Bay. It was a charming place to grow up in. Uh, although I say I'm from Sutton's Bay and people act like I'm from Gross Point or something, but it, it really wasn't as gentrified or as fancy uh, when I was a kid as it is now, but it really was still a lovely place to be from. Yeah, no, it is kind of the, it is the place up there, right? Like, you know, it's Sutton's Bay's got a whole new level of posh with people yeah. today. Um, so I appreciate that, how things change. Former former college football player at Northern Michigan University in the UP. You went up to the UPers and you played a little football. And uh, you have a wife, Nicole. You and your wife, also a native UPer. So, you know, you, nata, you, you married a UPer. Yeah, well, I was, uh, you know, I wasn't far enough north. I had to, to go uh, across the bridge and go up to Lake Superior and, and uh, play football. I had a lot of fun. And then, what did I say? Fooled around and fell in love. I fell in love at the end of college and met my wife. That's awesome. So I, I love that because, you know, you know, a lot of youpers won't marry trolls, you know, and a troll <laughs> is, of course, the people that live below the bridge, right? The Mackinac yeah. Bridge. And so unfortunately, David and I share this troll. We don't look the same. I actually may look like a troll. I'm not that tall, right? But not you. So now you're a Lansing area lobbyist, of course, our capital here in the state, Michigan. But you actually live in Grand Rapids uh, with your wife and uh, a lot of kids. Five, three, three boys still at home, two, uh, you know, off in college and living and doing the dream. Yeah, we have, uh, well, three, three at home still in high school. The boys, uh, one daughter's actually back for the summer. She goes to the University of Alabama. That's Roll Tide. That's, Tide. I'm, roll not a bandwagon, Tide. I'm not a bandwagon guy. I, I've always liked Nick Saban and, and my daughter and my money are going to <laughs> University of Alabama. Yes. So Yes, that's good. I support yeah. them. That's uh, good. I, I love that. I love that support. I appreciate the the bandwagon, you know, explaining that because it's it would be easy to get on that wagon, right? Oh, yeah, uh, they, obviously, unprecedented yeah, success. Are. So our daughter's yeah. home for the summer, and another one's living in Hawaii, living her best life, doing doing interesting things out there. Wow, yeah, I want to trade lives with your daughter already. Like Hawaii uh, either sounds one. pretty good. Either, either one, yes, their their lives are pretty good. Yeah, that's nice. But that's they, awesome. they both they both worked very hard to to get where they are, so we're proud of them. That's cool. Very cool. Now, what most people don't know about you is went to law school and you went to law school with our current governor, Governor Whitmer. Is that right? Uh, I, I did. Uh, the governor, the current governor uh, was uh, a law school classmate of mine for about one year uh, at Thomas Cooley or Western Michigan University's Thomas Cooley Law School. Uh, she then transferred. Uh, she got smart and transferred over to Michigan State University and finished up her law, law degree. But we were good friends and for a long time when we were younger and have maintained a a friendly relationship with her yeah. ever since. I think very highly of her and her family. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, now, does that does that prior? I mean, this is years before she was ever the governor, right? So, before does that prior friendly relationship help you today as a lobbyist on Capitol Hill at all? Having that relationship, not in any meaningful way in terms of getting something done, yeah. not yeah. one bit. But because I'm part of a good firm, uh, she actually knew almost all of us in our firm in one way, shape, or form, either as a younger person in law school or when she was working her way up to legislature. So uh, we do well just because she knows we're good, credible, experienced advocates, but we don't get any special treatment. <laughs> I yeah, can guarantee right, you right. that. 
Dang it. I can give Dang you it. example after example <laughs> where it hasn't gone well for our clients from time to time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. I appreciate the way the, the political spectrum can swing, yeah. right? So, all right. So if folks want to reach out to you, David, tell them real quick, real quickly, where can they find you online with uh, Kelly Cawthorn, of course, is that fabulous firm. Tell us a little bit about where they can find you. Well, uh, yeah, www.kelly, K-E-L-L-E-Y. We always have to say hyphen Cawthorn, C-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E.com. I think our website was once very state-of-the-art. It's not now, but we're in the midst <laughs> of a project to update it, and I'm really yeah. excited about it. Uh, so uh, check us out there, but come back. It'll look better uh, real soon and have more content, more more features. Uh, you know, we also have a good Facebook uh, a Facebook page, Kelly Cawthorn. Nice. Uh, we're on Twitter yeah, at Kelly Cawthorn, uh, just like I spelled it out. I'm at Twitter at dgregory1. So nice. Uh, and then you're on LinkedIn. They can find you on LinkedIn. Yeah, I'm on LinkedIn. Yes, big uh, big big advocate of LinkedIn. Yeah, of course. Yeah, hard not hard not to be today in these climate. Okay, so. Thank you, David, for coming on the show. Super excited to talk about this. This just, it's just unique environment, right? Like, and I don't think mainstream America people listening have like any idea what a lobbyist does. So, why don't you quickly tell us a little bit about the main premise, purpose of the firm, and what you've done for a number of years? Well, I think first let me say this: I think if to the extent that people even think of lobbyists, they probably don't think highly of them. Mm. Uh, and I think you know the, the portrayal and. Uh, popular culture doesn't help. When you do see a lobbyist, they're usually a little shady. And I think the perception is uh, we just walk around, uh, take people out to dinner, take them golfing, take them on uh, uh, junkets, uh, corporate junkets, and uh, hand out big bags of cash. And they they vote against uh, the public's interest and they vote with us. <laughs> I wish it were that. Actually, I don't wish it were that easy, but it's not <laughs> like that, quite frankly, at all. It's really not glamorous, although there are some interesting, fun parts of it, but it's not nearly as glamorous, as shady, uh, or as simple as it's portrayed. So again, Hollywood strikes again with big stories all the way on the edges of uh, you know what's possible, right? Inside the genre, and then opens up and says, oh, well, this is how it always is, right? Which is right. way far from the truth. So well, here's how I describe it, Trent. I've always described it as it's, it's simply a sales job in a political marketplace. Yeah. You know, we, we're kind of the middleman, the whole, the manufacturer's rep, the salesman, the middleman between, you know, the ideas and issues and goals that our clients have. And we mediate that with our ultimate end user customer who we have to make the sale with to have to get to vote our way or support our issue. And that's the legislator, the congressperson, the governor, the department uh, uh, person uh, in, a, in a state agency. But again, we're just selling our ideas and our clients and, our, and positions to the end use customer, which is uh, public officials. There you go. Okay, let's talk a little bit about you. Let's let's dive into David Gregory for a minute. Let's talk about yeah, you're growing up. You do we have this... to? <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we do. So uh, you you get into this sleepy town, quaint Leelanau Peninsula. It's this gorgeous place that of course gets overrun in the summer and then, you know, nine months of pretty regularity, right? Yeah, and right. tell us about that kid. Like what was one of the most impactful pivot points you had as a kid when you knew, hey, I'm destined to go do some other things. I want more. I'm, I'm going to do some things. You know, I'm going to get opportunities of people that want you to come play. And then, and then onto this life of influence, of people. You know, and I was thought about that and something just really came to me. When I was young, 
when I was young, uh, let's say second grade, first grade, third grade. I, I really struggled with reading, actually. Uh, you know, my father was a big reader. My father had been a, a teacher, among other things, an English teacher. And he was a voracious reader. And I really struggled with reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I didn't really, not to the extent that I thought of it, I, I didn't think I was one of the smart kids or special kids in class by any stretch. And then for a couple of years, as a, as a young person, we, my father, so he could go to law school later in life after uh, a career, he, he moved to Lansing. We moved to Lansing for two years. So left my small town, went to the big town of Lansing, lived with my aunt. And she worked at Michigan State University at Olin Health Center. And she had season tickets to to all the sporting events. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I got to go to see you know pretty much every home game Magic Johnson ever played. And Kirk Gibson oh, wow. was playing football for Michigan State. And yeah. we went to hockey games. We would go to the big library in downtown Lansing, which was bigger than you know any building in my entire little hometown. Um, you know, we would visit the Capitol and museums. And I think it really opened me up. And then all of a sudden, by fourth grade, I was uh, put in a kind of advanced learning or enrichment program uh, for kids. I really accelerated quickly when I was exposed to a little more culture, a little bit bigger environment. Mm. Uh, Again, the broader world than just pretty little Sutton's Bay. And I don't think I was ever the same uh, after that for in a good way. That's so cool. Yeah, that's so big, right? And, uh, you know, I coached Kirk Gibson at the Tigers, so I really appreciate And I coached at Michigan State with Coach Saban, so we're going to have lots to talk about that a little later. Well, but- I, think, I think people forget what a tremendous football player he was, quite frankly. Oh, yeah. He was an All-American football player. And then, if I, I remember right, he went out for baseball one year at Michigan State. He had played in high school, and then he set the Big Ten home run record. I mean, he was just yeah. a tremendous athlete. Yeah, tremendous athlete. Yeah, and you see a little glimpses of Kurt's football career because he's got about three videos out there where he just kills catchers at home plate, right? And you can mm-hmm. see, like, he knows exactly what he's doing. <laughs> like, he's <laughs> dropping the shoulder, you know, pumping the legs right through contact. Like, he's, um, I think he was an All-American tight end at, uh, at Michigan State. So, like, no joke, right? Yeah, he was uh, fast and physical. Yeah, and he, he liked contact. I mean, really, he was just an amaz- amazing competitor. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's, um, let's, let's kind of move forward. Let's talk a little bit about, I love the quote from uh, Chris McChesney and Sean Covey. They wrote a book called uh, The Four Disciplines of Execution. This is winners, when shown data that they are losing, find a way to win. So l- let's talk a little bit about your background that allowed you to overcome and, you know, the resolve to get through some tough times. I mean, either going back personal business, I mean, Easy one on this last year, like, hey, how do you keep developing business and selling through a pandemic? So tell me a little bit about one of those times you were up against it, losing, found a way to come back and win, down but not out. Tell us a little, walk us through that a little bit. Well, I guess, you know, one was in, you know, my, whatever my athletic career amounted to. Um, in college, uh, you know, I earned a starting position and was uh, in my, I guess, second or third year and doing pretty well. And then, then I, uh, basically blew out my ACL, my knee, mm-hmm. uh, and close to the last game of the year. Actually, it was Vince Buck from Central State of Ohio in a playing for the Saints just drilled me. Uh, and uh, my knee my knee was blown out. Uh, and it was towards the end of the season. And then I knew that I knew that my knee was done, but some x-rays and mishaps and miscommunication. And next thing you know, it's six or seven weeks later and I still haven't had surgery. Uh, and then I had a little bit of a dispute with my team doctors. I ended up going back home to Traverse City at Munson Hospital, Dr. David Lint, uh, yeah. an outstanding orthop- orthopedic surgeon. Mm-hmm. 
Munson's and got a few of those, by the way. They got some good ones. He, they do. And he did kind of what was at the time a patellar tendon replacement uh, of my ACL, which was kind of a cutting edge surgery at the time. It's not anymore very common. Yeah. Uh, but then, but it, all of a sudden, it's a little past Christmas and football starts in the very beginning of August, and I don't have a lot of time. And, uh, you know, and then I saw my name not on the depth chart or off the side of a, a depth chart in the coach's room one time. And, that really lit a fire under me to, to attack physical rehab with everything I had. And I did. And, and I ended up playing the next season, seven months after my surgery, mm. playing football, uh, my knee, my right knee, surgical knee tested out stronger than my left knee. Yeah. And it was sheer, sheer, I guess, determination. And the spark was seeing in a you know, physical reality on a depth chart that maybe I wasn't going to play. Yeah, uh, and then I wanted to play, and all of a sudden I realized how much it meant to me. So I just attacked uh, rehab and played seven months later, and never looked back. I was never quite the same player again, but you know, I got back. I got back, and I, whenever I'm struggling or I'm kind of behind, or I do think about that. I, that was a very difficult time. It was a very difficult thing to do, and I, yeah. I realized if I did that, I can I can do other things that are difficult. Well, I'll also say this about this day because you and I are, you know. <laughs> A few years experienced, okay? Like yeah. seven months isn't so uncommon. Seven, eight months in in an ACL today is aggressive. Back then, ACLs were 12 to 15 months. Standard operating procedure, like rehabilitation, the, the check-in surgeries. So this was like literally almost halving the time of what, what organizations wanted from an ACL rehabilitation. Yeah, and I, I was aware that it was probably an aggressive time schedule, but I did. I, I also didn't try to think about things like that too much. Yeah, and I did have a, my doctor and and then the, the the physical rehabilitation team that I had, which was mostly in Traverse City that summer. They're like, I, I you know, you could do it if you work really hard. If you go at it every day and you do everything we say and even go beyond it, we believe you can do it. I'm like, okay, well, you're the expert, so I guess I can do it. Yeah, I think that's sometimes just what we need, right? We need the right people to tell us, like, hey. You can do this, and and they know, right? You're probably in some medical journal, by the way, somewhere. You know, back from you know, <laughs> whatever eighties was it eighties? Like whatever it was, you know, like going through it, right? It was nineteen eighty nine. Yeah, it was a long time ago. Eighty nine. All right. So, what do you think? You know, you come back and you talk about that. What today? What you've learned? What do you, what do you think, David Gregory's superpower is that separates you from others and catapults you into those? You know. 1% groups, that leadership, those top-tier programs, that top-tier firm? Well, again, I don't know if I'm in the 1% by any stretch of the imagination, but you know, if you say, if you say it, I'm going to take it, um, <laughs> number one. Number two, I, I do think I have pretty good analytical skills, and I can analyze situations uh, pretty quickly. I can synthesize a lot of information pretty quickly. I can observe trends and tie them together pretty quickly. And I think think clearly to develop a pretty coherent plan of attack, whether it's for a firm or for an issue or for a client. Again, I believe it's the ability to analyze quickly and then communicate it, whether in writing or speaking, I think pretty quickly and, and then pretty clearly uh, in terms of strategy. Do you think that was developed? And I'm going to ask you this because Desmond Clark was on our show, you know, longtime Chicago Bear and want to, want well, he lost the Super Bowl with them, I guess. I guess he went to the Super Bowl and they lost to the Colts. But um, he was talking about like 
how much is going on at the line of scrimmage in football? Like, I mean, there's like a seven second window where everyone has to make, you know, four to 12 adjustments and everything's got to happen like that. And, and then, you know, it's a seven second play and then you got 30 seconds. You're going to do it all over again. I mean, do you think like some of that, as you look at defensive schemes and everything that you guys were running up on that front line as a, as a, as a center and as a, as a key cog and, and our football teams, we, we label our centers number one. Because like, he's the most important person. Like if, if our center doesn't get the ball first, if we don't get that, nothing happens. Like nothing gets started without the center. Right. So tell us a little bit about that. Is it, you think that's maybe part of the way you develop those skills? Possibly. I think it had an influence on it, but uh, yeah, I mean, I always used to say, I mean, Hey, the center is the most important player on the team because uh, you know, the, nothing happens until the center snaps the ball. That's right. Uh but then after that, everybody, you know, forgets who you are if they ever knew to begin <laughs> with. I, I always said, uh, who knows who the starting center is, whether he's any good or any or bad. It, nobody knows who he is other than his yeah. girlfriend or his mom. Yeah. So but I didn't mind that anonymity. Uh, it always I, I enjoyed the scrum and the confusion and, uh, you know, quite frankly, the contact and violence uh, of line of scrimmage play and, you know, battling somebody in very tight quarters and just. You know, your will against their will, your technique against their technique is just so elemental and fundamental and just, uh, you know, just a test of wills, a test of technique, a test of determination, a test of, you know, can you sustain coach, uh, my line coach, Buck Nystrom used to talk about that all the time. Can you sustain great effort through four quarters? Can you sustain great effort through a long practice or a conditioning, uh, you know, a conditioning class uh, in the wintertime? Can you sustain effort in life, in the slog of life? Because it is a slog sometimes. Yeah. So yeah, I think the ability to sustain effort is something I really learned. And uh, yeah, that being in the chaos and confusion and things flying and maybe yeah, maybe a little violence here and there. I, I didn't mind it. I liked it a lot. Yeah. Well, I think I think that's great. I, I, and we need to talk about Buck a little bit more too because he's very influential in Coach Saban's world and and that yeah. crossover because uh, he had some influence in that Spartan days of Coach Saban when I was at Michigan state. And so talk to me a little bit about um, how some of that served you like, and your firm during this chaotic pandemic, like, Hey, every way you've done business now said, Oh, you can't do business that way anymore for the next six months or two months or whatever it is, you know, however long that sustains out very different. How do you, how do you take that adjustment to your firm and do something different? Well, I mean, I think, you know, we did learn from Bach and, from athletics and, and other experiences in life, but, you know, first really through athletics, at least that's how I learned it was, you know, you have to adapt, uh, you have to adapt to the situation. You have to improvise some, yet, you know, everybody has a plan going in until they get punched in the mouth. Yeah, uh, right. Tyson. That's what Mike Tyson. I mean, so yeah, you <laughs> yeah. can have a plan and you can work the plan and you can practice to the plan. And all of a sudden the plan is not working. What are you going to do? Are you going to give up? Are you going to, um, give into confusion and give into the confusion and chaos, or are you going to remain calm? Uh, rely on your training. You, you might have to adapt a tactic, but your underlying training mentally and physically should prepare you to be able to change on the fly. Yeah. Um, and we had to, we did during the pandemic. I'm glad to talk about that. I'm sure many businesses did. I know they did many lobbying businesses yeah. did, but I can only speak to how it was for us. I love that. And then you see that, that you see that how difficult one is for sustained effort. 
through that timeline. Like that's very difficult. And, and of course, I think a lot of people struggled that with pandemic because it was like, Hey, I can do this for two weeks. Uh, you know, even if they're just saying another two weeks, I'm okay. Right. But then it just, it kept going. You're like, wait a minute. If you get sustained effort in this, in this adjustment, in this adaptation, and I'm, I'm reminded of like the Super Bowl where Brady came back, right? It just looks awful. You know, it's back to that yeah. shown data that you're losing. I mean, they're down like what, 24 points or something, right? It's looking, it's looking bad. And you're thinking, man, we're only halfway through this thing. And I love some of the sound bites from, from the Falcons players, not to bring up a sore spot for them, but like, Hey man, they still got Brady. They still got a plan. You know, they're going to adjust. <laughs> like we got to be on our game too. Like, and, and they're talking about, you know, exactly what you just said. They're talking about like, we can't stop the sustained effort. We have two more quarters. You can't just call right. it in. It's not over. And it wasn't, it <laughs> you was know, not. it was it not was over. Not. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, it's, you, you got to play through the whistle. You got to play through the, you know, through the end of the play. You've got to play all four quarters in, in athletics and in life and all four quarters of life, you know, and I'm definitely in the second half. Uh, I don't know if I'm in the fourth <laughs> quarter yet, but I'm in the second half, third period, third quarter for sure. So, yeah. Uh, hey, quick, you know, a great example. When I was in college, the, it's the 30-year anniversary of NMU winning the national championship in hockey Yeah, uh, over Boston University. And I went to the game. I knew some guys on the team. They were down 3 nothing to Boston University, which is a far bigger, far better known, far more established hockey program sure. than Northern Michigan was at the time. We were down 3 nothing in the first half, uh, first period, excuse me. Then we went up 7-4 in the second period. And then Boston U came back. The second, so eight goals in the second period. And then it, and then it got tied. Uh, and then we didn't score in the third period. And it ended 7-7. And Tony Amante, I think it was, got a breakaway and scored on our, our goalie on a breakaway with like 20 seconds left. So we were down. We were up. We were down. And then they went into three overtimes and won 8-7. I mean, oh, that's a tremendously great. talented team. What a game. Uh, well-coached team, probably paying an even more talented team, but they never gave up. They persevered. They just relied on their training and, and their conditioning and their belief in themselves and just barely outlasted their opponent. Thank you for joining us for another Winners Find A Way show. I am your host, Trent Clark. If you love this episode, share this episode with your friends and Follow us on whatever podcasting medium you're listening to. If you want more content from us, join us at leadershipity.com or the Leadershipity YouTube channel. You can find us on all the social media networks at either Trent M. Clark or Leadershipity. For our award-winning workshop, Win With Great Teams, you can find that page on LinkedIn as well as our corporate page, Leadershipity. If you want to win more It starts with you today. Say it with me now. I have what it takes.